Do you ever get distracted? Each week, Al and I try to get together to uh, run through the music because I want to make sure he does the songs exactly the way I want them. So to make sure he learns that, you know, I want to tell him how to do it. And uh, it is partially true. But So we came in here to run through songs and to get a sense of the piano and, and guitar together and just try to run through some of the music. And uh, we came in here. And I made a comment to him. Hopefully you don't think less of us after I share this. Uh, I, I just, I said, you know, I've never really liked the clear pulpit. I just never have. I said, there's that nice wood one down there. I think I just want to swap them out. And he goes, let's do it. Okay. So we swapped the pulpit. Well, that led to moving the piano, moving the drums, cutting a hole in the stage and running all new wires and taking down the curtains. And I'm sure we did other things as well that I can't even remember. So speaking of distractions, do you ever get distracted because if something crosses your mind, it's like, oh, I have to do that. I have to do that right now. For us as Christians, we are walk, walking a path following Christ. We are walking a path following Christ together. But along the way, there are a lot of distractions. And we've started this series on the Psalms of Ascent. We started last week with Psalm 120. And there are 15 of these. We're going to take some of them in batches, some of them by themselves. And so this week, we're going to look at Psalm 121. And these psalms are, we believe, from what we can tell from scholars, they are songs that would have been sung as pilgrims walked to Jerusalem during the times of worship that they had to make these pilgrimages each year. But they also tell us a lot about our pilgrimage through this life. As we follow Christ together, and we look forward to the day when we will either leave this place to go be with him, or he will come back to be with us, whichever comes first. We've titled this series, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's a statement from Frederick Nietzsche. I don't think he would appreciate us using it, but he doesn't get to say, so we're using it. And Eugene Peterson, a New Testament scholar, kind of took this and used it to describe the walk of the Christian life. What is it that binds us together? What is it that holds us together? And he took this phrase from Nietzsche who wanted to do away with God, and he said it's actually in God that we walk this long obedience in the same direction. It's such a good metaphor for the Christian faith. And he used that as a lens to look at these Psalms of Ascent. And so we are walking through them together. And today we're going to look at Psalm 121 in a sermon I've called Guarded by God. What does it mean that we are along the way guarded by God? Last week we looked at Psalm 120. And I said, it's an ugly psalm. The the language of it, the Hebrew poetry of it is ugly. There's a dissonance to it and it's purposeful. It's meant to be that way. The tone of it, the statements in it are just ugly And we've talked about how this is not our typical way of worship. Our typical way of worship is kind of getting the crowd pumped up and let's go and, you know, turn on the smoke machine and the laser lights and woohoo, now we can worship. And that's not what this is. We don't have smoke machines and laser lights in case you're looking for them. And Al and I didn't get rid of those. We didn't have them. I think I would get rid of them if we did have them. But it's a hard place to start because it is a place to start that is about being dissatisfied with the way things are. 
And we looked at the idea that if you're going to trust in God and follow him and accept his salvation, it must start with a dissatisfaction with who you are and where you are. We don't like to think about that. Sometimes we want to take what we think to be our okay life and just take it along with us in our okay world and God just likes everything just the way it is and we'll follow God together. And God says, no, 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 no. You've got to take a good hard look at that. Because that's dead. That's buried in Jesus Christ. And so we talked about repentance. We have to turn away from that. We are dissatisfied with it. We have to turn away. But at the end of the sermon, I raised the question, what are we turning toward? Because Psalm 120 doesn't really answer that question. But 121 does. So let me set this before us as I read. You can read along. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. I'm reading out of the NIV, but you can use whatever translation you prefer. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. And so he starts this idea of walking the pilgrim life with a question. Where does my help come from? Where is it we're going to look for help? And he says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Now, it's possible, this is a general ex, ex, uh, sort of statement of praise, I lift my eyes up. I'm, I'm, I'm not looking where I am. I'm going to look up. Jerusalem would have been on a hill in the distance as the pilgrims walked to it from any direction. So they would have had to look up. So maybe it's a focusing statement. But here's the interesting thing. In this culture, and this was unfortunately true of ancient Israel as with many of the places around the ancient world, on many of the hillsides or hilltops and mountaintops, there would have been altars, altars to other idols. And it is quite possible that as the pilgrims are walking and they're thinking about these words in this song, they're thinking, I've started my journey, I'm following God, but I'm also looking around. Where does my help come from? Is it from the God that I can worship over there that will make my crops grow? Is it from the goddess that I could worship over there that would give me children or make me wealthy? Is that where my help comes from? Or should I keep walking this long obedience in the same direction. There are a lot of distractions along the pilgrim way. And as we follow Christ, there are many times we get in a situation and right there, right next to the road, or right there, just up that hill right next to us, there's something calling out to us. Well, trust this. Trust this. I've got this. I can help you out of this situation. And we have to ask ourselves, where does my help come from? We have to make sure we don't get distracted in our worship. And the answer rings out loud and true in verse 2. My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. And who is He? He's the maker of heaven and earth. Everything. So you're walking along and you see these hillsides and you see sort of the 7-Eleven of idolatry worship up there. And you can make a quick stop and, you know, worship that idol real quick along the way and get a slushy if you want make your life a little bit easier. Or, they didn't have slushies. That's, I threw that in there. Or, you can say, I'm going to worship the one who made that mountain. 
I'm going to worship the one who made the skies and who made the earth. I'm not going to get distracted along the way. We must keep our focus on God. But as we do that, it would be tempted along the way to think, well, God's somewhere out there. In their terminology, they were walking to Jerusalem and they were called to go to the temple at that time, to the place in the temple that God had designed for his glory, his presence to be manifested to them. And that was where they were going to worship. So they could be thinking, I'm going there to where God is. And in a sense, that would be true. We might be tempted to think, I have to live this life until Christ returns. And then someday I'm going to go to be with Christ. I hope we think that way. We need to think that way. We need to be looking for, praying for the return of Jesus Christ. As we look at these news stories, one after another, after another, after another, the heart cry of the Christian should be, must be, come Lord Jesus. This world is a mess. Come, Lord Jesus. Come reign in us. Come wipe away the sin. Come set up the creation the way you meant it to be all along. Come, Lord Jesus. But as we think of that and pray for Jesus to come, pray for the moment we will be with him forever, let's not step into the trap of thinking God's not right here with us now. God isn't just out there somewhere, contrary to what Bed Midler would want us to think. He's not watching us from a distance. God is right here with us all the time. And so we look at verses 3 through 6, and this idea that we are guarded along the way. Look at these verses. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. And I've chosen to use the word guarded. It's a translation of a Hebrew word that appears six times in this passage. The NIV uses watches five times and keep once. But it's all the same Hebrew word. And I like the concept of guarding. Because to me, a guard is someone who's right there with you, active in that moment. Watches can sort of be from a distance. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm watching them. Well, your kids are running out in the street. Well, yeah, but I'm watching them. <laughs> that's, that's not the same as guarding them. You know, I remember my mom, she'd be driving in the car and she would see some sort of danger ahead or something and it was, you know, her arm would whip out. <laughs> and it would just hold me as if somehow that was better than the seatbelt that was strapping me into the automobile. But, you know, my mom's arm was there, so I was good. She was guarding me. I don't think it would have done a lot of good, but at least in her mind. This passage, this psalm, uses that word over and over and over for the Lord of heaven and earth and the way he's involved in your life. He's guarding you. He is right there, present with you. Why? Because there are a lot of dangers involved along the way of following Christ. A lot of dangers. This psalm looks at two different ones. There's the idea of the the feet that slip. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. As you're walking along the way in Israel, in ancient Israel, they would have been rocks and dirt clods and the paths weren't these lovely paved roads that we might have today. They were dangerous. One wrong step and the ankle could turn. 
The bone could snap. The ligaments could tear. Now, today, if that happens, you know, somebody throws you in their car, you go to the emergency room, you get an air cast, some crutches, maybe a real cast. It's a pain, but you're going to be okay. If you're a traveler out in the middle of nowhere in ancient Israel and that happens, you're in big trouble. You're now slower than the people that might want to rob you. You're certainly slower than the animals that want to eat you. And if you're traveling by yourself, you're in big, big trouble. It was very dangerous. And of course, as a traveler, you could try to be careful, but let's be honest, sometimes we're just walking along and we step wrong. Something happens. There's this unforeseen, sudden danger. We face those things in our lives today. Now, I don't know how often you twist your ankle, but I know how often you might get a phone call of, hey, I just got this awful news about my mom or my dad or an uncle. Hey, I just heard from my boss and I've lost my job. I just got a call from my doctor and it's it's my diagnosis and this is what I'm going through. Those are the sort of sudden, unforeseen things. And I don't know what's going on in your life, but we face them all the time. But God, who guards us, never slumbers. He never checks out. How often in a moment of of unforeseen danger or distress do we think, God, do you not see this? And we need to come back to Psalm 121 and say, huh, yeah, he does. He actually says it right there. He watches over us. He doesn't slumber or sleep. He knows what's going on in our lives. And so our response needs to be to trust him. Trust him that he's already involved and aware of what's going on. It was raised in the Sunday school class about the immutability of God and prayer and how do these two things fit together. Why do we pray to a God who doesn't change and who knows all things? Well, because we need it more than he does. We don't pray to inform God. Prayer is not our newsletter to God. Hey, just want to catch you up with what's going on in my life in case you want to do anything. That's not what prayer is. God already knows what's going on in our life. But we need to trust him, that he has a plan, that he has a will, that he's already involved. But the other response that we need and the other aspect of trust is that there are times that God, in his role of guarding us, says, don't step there. Don't walk down that path. There's a danger there that I know about and you don't. Don't go there. Walk here instead. And so often we want to say, oh, God, I mean, come on, that looks really fun. I mean, I'm going to like that. I know best. I can see it. I can handle it. Part of the ways that God keeps us from those sudden unforeseen dangers is to tell us not to go there in the first place. Now, not always. It's not always our fault. Sometimes it's somebody else's fault. But we need to trust him in obedience and in the moment to say, God, I know you've got this. I may not see it right now. There's another danger along the way. So there's the the foot slipping, that sudden unforeseen danger. But then 5 and 6 talks about the Lord watching over us, being our shade at our right hand, the sun not harming us by day, nor the moon by night. As the pilgrims walked this long road to Jerusalem, the sun was beating down on them. I think we know a little something about that in Rochester right now. It's hot. I had explained to the Schusters, like, this is unusual. This is not a normal summer. 
I've never seen the grass this color. I've been here five years. I've never seen the grass quite this color in Rochester. It's a lovely tone of beige. It's just beautiful. But you know when the sun is beating down on you and you just can't get any relief and you walk under a tree? Or the sun's beating down on you and the cloud just sort of goes over the sun and there's that momentary relief. It doesn't take all the pressure away. But there's that shade. That protection. The scripture says that's what God is to the weary traveler. Shade during the day. It also uses this idea of shielding us from the moon at night. Now, to us, that might seem weird. But in their culture, they they had this concept of being moonstruck. We actually still use the concept of lunacy. Have you heard the word lunacy? Lunatic. So lunacy, the root word is luna, which means moon, right? And then C is a large body of water, but that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Oh, come on. you got to wake up. We're just seeing if you're awake. I know that's not what it means. But it's talking about how God, along the weary travels that the pilgrims would make, how God is with them. He's watching over them, and he's protecting them. I think we face a similar danger. You see, there's the sudden, unforeseen, sort of foot-slip, ankle-twisting danger, but then there's the the long, drawn-out, draining danger of life. You ever feel weary? Feel just worn out? Maybe numb? We look at the news and we see these articles and these stories from around the world constantly, and there's a part of us that just sort of wants to go numb inside. I can't take it. Well, at least it's not my backyard, so I guess it's okay. We're weary, and it's part of our way of dealing with it. Maybe there's an anger or a bitterness that grows up inside of us because of situations that are going on in our lives. And it's like that sun just beating down, and it's our way of dealing with it. Wow, I can't believe that person keeps doing that. And the bitterness wells up. Sometimes we accept others' opinions of ourselves rather than Christ's. And we listen to the wrong voices in our lives and in our world. And a weariness sets in. And damage builds up from the inside out. We need to know that our guardian God is with us and is our constant protection. He's always with us. He is watching over us right there, present in the situation. And, like we just saw, He never sleeps. He never wears out. God never gets tired of watching over you. There's not a day that goes by that God says, I just can't take it anymore. You're on your own on this one. I'll see you tomorrow. God doesn't do that. We do that. He's always there with us. So how do we respond as pilgrims? Keep going. If we are trusting the guardian God that can watch over us even in these prolonged times of distress or even agony, we need to tell ourselves, keep going. I imagine using sort of contemporary ideas of, of a pilgrim along the way and they crawl out of their tent in the morning and they think, okay, another day of walking to Jerusalem and oh, it's hot. I don't want to do it. You know, let's just take a day off. We'll, we'll just rest here today. We'll take it easy. There's a nice shade tree over here. We'll just relax. And I think sometimes as Christians, we think the same thing. We wake up in the morning, we know we've got that meeting at work when we get in. Or we know we're going to see that person and we know what they're going to say and we don't want to hear it. 
We know we're going to turn on the television or go on the internet and look at the news and it's going to be another tragedy. We say, I just don't want to do it. We start looking for distractions. What can I run after that will just make me feel better right now? If we trust in a God who shades us from the sun by day, protects us from the moon by night, we need to get up and keep walking. Say, God's got this. I can keep going because my guardian God is with me and I will trust Him. Now there's an important, very important distinction we need to make at this point. It would be tempting if this psalm was the only passage of Scripture that we ever read or had, it would be tempting to take this passage to say, if you believe in Jesus Christ and you follow God, nothing bad will ever happen to you. I would love to be able to preach that message. People get very rich preaching that message. Here's the problem. It's an outright lie and a heresy. It is contrary to what God says. So we have to take this passage in its larger context. Look at Psalm 124, verse 2. Because again, these are the psalms, I believe, that they would have sung along the way. So they didn't just stand on their own. They had a larger context. Psalm 124, verse 2. If the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, verse 3, they would have swallowed us alive when their anger flared against us. And we would be tempted to say, see, see, God protected them. Yes, but did the attack come? Yes. They were attacked. Do you think that was a happy, wonderful, shining moment in their life? Woohoo, they're attacking us. Woohoo. No, it was hard. They're attacking. But wait, there's more. Psalm 125, verse 3. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. Oh, there's a wonderful promise. Absolutely. But in the moment that this is being written, where is the scepter of the wicked? Well, someday it won't remain, but it's still there now. Talking about the scepter of the wicked, it's saying there's a, an unrighteous, wicked person that's in charge. And yes, that won't remain. Yes, there's a deadline that God has put on that. But right now... It stinks. And it's hard. Psalm 129, 1 and 2. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Let Israel say they have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained the victory over me. This is someone trusting God saying, I know I'm victorious, but don't miss the fact they have been oppressed every single day of their life. It's a long, hard road of trusting God. One more, Psalm 130, verses 1 and 2. Listen to the heart cry of this psalmist. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Do you hear him crying out for mercy? Do you need mercy when everything's going shiny and happy and wonderful and beautiful? No. This is the heart cry of somebody struggling either with their own sin or with the sin of the world, but they're crying out for help. This psalm, back to Psalm 121, where it talks about God guarding us, cannot be interpreted to mean nothing bad will ever happen because that is against so much else in the rest of Scripture and even against the rest of the Psalms of Ascent. Here's what I think we can take from it, though. The stumble is never final. We might hurt. We might have the sudden unforeseen thing that comes into our life. 
But the worst thing that can happen in this world, the most final thing that this world has to do to us is to end our life. And if you believe in Jesus Christ and your sins are washed away by His death, burial, and resurrection, the moment this world does its worst to you and ends your life is the moment you step into eternity into the very presence of God. That victory on behalf of the world will not be the end of us because we have a greater victory in Jesus Christ. Because our guardian God is watching over us and saying, "Uh uh-uh, that's not the end of you. I won't let that be the final chapter of your life. The sunstroke going on in our lives, the constant day in, day out, wearing down, that we think there's no way I can get out from under this. There's no end in sight. How much longer can I go? God is saying in this passage, this will not be the end of you. I'm not done with you yet. Keep on walking. Keep on trusting. And if we're going to do this, we need to trust the one who guards us. Verses 7 and 8, The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Look how many times the phrase, the Lord, is used. This, of course, is not unique to this psalm. It's all over Scripture. But let me give you just an interesting tidbit of information in case you don't know it. In the NIV and many of the other translations as well, in this passage, the Lord is capitalized. L-O-R-D is all capitalized. That is the translator's way of helping us to understand there are multiple names for God and they have chosen, when they do all caps in this situation, when they do all caps, they're saying, this is the name Yahweh. This is the name of God that he used to reveal himself to Moses and to the Israelites when he saved them out of Egypt and made a covenant with them. Yahweh. You might be thinking, okay, so what? Cool, it's a nickname. No, it's so much more than that. You see, the name Yahweh, if we could translate it into English, which is difficult, the closest equivalent we have is I am. I am. Right? I am who I am. If I come and introduce myself to you, I could give you my resume. I could show you my business card. Well, I work at this church. I serve here. I was born in this state. I went to this school. Here's the resume that proves to you who I am. I could tell you about my parents. I could even tell you about my ancestry a little bit. I don't know much about that. But I could say this is who I am based on where I've come from. Do you know God's resume? Do you know what he points to to say, you want to know who I am? This is who I am. He just points to himself. I am. I am me. I don't depend on anything else. God doesn't depend on anything for who he is. Which means, come what may, no matter what happens in our life or in our world, God doesn't change. Because he doesn't depend on any of it. He is the self-existent, non-dependent God. So when you are in trouble, know that God hasn't changed one bit. His mercy, His love, His grace, His power is all still right there at work. Our situation has changed. Our feelings about God might have even changed. He has not changed. We can trust in Him. But there's another aspect to this. The name Yahweh is most often used in Scripture to emphasize that God is a covenant-keeping God. He keeps His promises. Why? Because His promises depend upon Himself and nothing else. Nothing. God's not watching CNN going, oh my goodness, how am I going to fulfill that promise today? I can't believe it. I can't believe this is going on. He says, no, I got this. We look at the news. We look at our families. We look at our lives. We look at our actions and say, oh my goodness, this is totally out of hand and God can't take this. God's saying, no, 
I made a promise. I am watching over you. We can go to the New Testament as well. Matthew 1.23, Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's that guardian God. God who is ever present with us, who was born in the manger, grew and lived among us, experiencing everything that we go through, died on the cross, taking our sins upon himself and paid the price. And then he rose from the dead, promising eternal life to all who believe. That's what your guardian God did for you and for me. So what do we do with all this? We need to be careful where we look for help. There are a lot of distractions along the way. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Spend time in God's Word to know who He is, to know whether or not you're being distracted or not. Sometimes we're distracted and we don't even know it. Be careful where you look for help. Know that you are guarded along the way. Whatever you're going through right now in your life, whatever phone call comes tomorrow, whatever new news story pops up this week, God is with us. Our guardian God is with us. He knows what he is doing and he is actively at work. And then get to know him better. Know the guard, the God who is guarding you. That's why we emphasize in this church Sunday school. It's why we want you to get into your Bibles, whether it's here or in another group or in another church, but get into God's word. Know the God who is guarding you. So many Christians have this minuscule, tiny, uninformed picture of God that they get from a snippet here and a lovely thought there. And then disaster strikes. And they say, God, what are you doing? And God says, the same thing I've been doing all along and I've been trying to tell you about. A small picture of God will never be enough to help you through the times of disaster and danger. Get to know the God who guards you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as Christians, that we would commit to, love to, walk together along obedience in the same direction. But may we also be honest along the way about distractions and distresses that happen to us. And may we point each other to Your Word to a big picture of who you are, that you are our guardian who watches over us and keeps us safe according to your word and according to your will. Father, forgive us when we go our own way, when we try to be our own guardian or our our own path layer. But instead, may we trust in you and dig into your word to know better who you are, that we might trust you more. Thank you for your the way you guard us, and the way you are actively involved in everything that's going on. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.